5: gators breakdown the gators fan podcast because there's never a dull moment in gator nation gator panel part two talking recruiting here uh silk you know you put this together the me and you put this together we talked about how to handle the first part you'll handle the second part we're recruiting so i'm just gonna straight hand it off to you to start this part two off
4: so um Part two, recruiting, man. Um, we're currently ranked 23rd. We'll get into uh, the topics in a minute, but I'm gonna let everybody introduce themselves one by one. Zach. What's
6: up, everyone? Zach from Gator Bait and ESPN Gainesville.
4: Nick. Nick Del
0: here for that recruiting talk at GatorCountry.com.
1: Graham. Graham Hall, Gainesville Sun, Gatorsports.com. Good to be here, guys. Bill. Yeah, I'm Bill Sykes from the Gators Breakdown Podcast and a Hornet's
4: Nest Kicker. Boom. I'm gonna leave Dan last because he was racist. Dan, go ahead,
3: man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh I'm Dan Thompson. I uh I do freelance for Gator Country, which means uh according to J Rock, I don't get paid.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas in the two four seven composite. How I didn't even to start- introduce myself, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought she did an intro. <laughs> I, want, I want to wait for a second. Go go, uh, go ahead. I uh, yeah, yeah I forgot.
5: Yeah, so it wasn't that tough. Uh, yeah. Shit, David the world Sellers, doesn't
4: David...
6: know procedures and stuff.
5: <laughs> that's racist too. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> David Waters is getting right now on podcast.
4: All right. So, like I was saying, uh, uh, we were currently ranked 23rd in the 247 composite rankings. Um, that's what the streets usually go by. Uh, it was a slow start. Uh, there's a little bit of relationship building, but it was also some um, faltering. Um, first topic I want to get in on is the Cali strategy. I want to see what you guys' uh, opinion on it and how do you guys think it went. Uh, starting with, uh, mm, let's go, um, Bill.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I saw this coming uh, when it was reported that, that Florida was going to try to camp out and use their connections to sign three or four blue chips out of California each year. Uh, the historical precedent just wasn't there for, for that for Florida. They've signed eight recruits total since 2003. Um, I think four or five of those were blue chips, and basically the only one that worked out was Ronald Powell. Um, never They only signed uh, multiple blue chips one time out of California. That was 2010 when they signed Powell and Josh Shaw, who promptly went back home. Uh, There's a huge opportunity cost to get a kid to come thousands of miles away to play for college. Uh, it just was a bad It was a bad decision. And I think Mullen – I think he had some people in his ear on his staff that told him they could get it done, and obviously it didn't. Uh, It was just struck out across the board. And I'm almost kind of glad they didn't load up on California recruits on the front end because then they would have had to have tried to protect them on the back end all the way to the finish line, then keep all these kids engaged. And it's just been a very low-yield endeavor for Florida in the past, and I don't think it's worth the effort. So I say come home and recruit Florida.
4: Dave
5: yeah i I mostly agree with bill there and also in in a way i do think it it is hard to fault them in a way for you know it it was his first full class that he had to go after but you know behind the 2018 class you know he had to just kind of come in quickly uh get everything together to finish that class off but you know some some of the staff he brought in had some connections to california i don't think it was a problem trying it initially uh you know I, i do also think you got know, you got you, you got you've got to start in florida and, and make your home there you can drive within a 3 3 hour radius and you know get similar type style of style uh, of prospects but as bill said he he had some guys in his ear who probably thought they could get it done uh, out there and I, the the top rated prospects were probably worth it to to try uh, but i do hate the uh, and it's hard to equate how if if they got behind in the state of florida while spending so much time out there, because the guys who went out there, I'm not sure their relationships were uh, are that strong uh, in Florida, anyway. So, but but maybe they got behind on started to, on starting to build the relationships in the state of Florida. So, uh, when it's all when it's all said and done, of course, you know, revision history. It was it, it was a mistake, uh, but first and foremost, uh, I do think you start in Florida and then you kind of just branch out and cherry pick what you can go get from other places.
4: Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's go ahead and go with my man, Zach.
6: Yeah, I mean, obviously great points there. I I mean, I, I kind of feel like Florida's done enough of recruiting in Cali over the past decade to know that it's um, not worth their time. Uh, you know, and I, and I don't think Florida put all their chips in that basket, but they definitely, you know, got the impression to me that they, they felt like they could make some noise in that state. Uh, just because of the new program in place and the connections that they had to Cali. But it's just it's hard to go over there, even as a you know, program that's on top or doing well and still pull kids from that state. It's like trying to go recruit in Louisiana or Texas or any area like that. It's just, it's just not easy. Um, you know, I think if Florida was coming off of a 10-2 and two record, maybe had even won an SEC title recently, they still wouldn't have got Chris Steele, for example. I mean, he was going to go to USC no matter what. And a lot of kids from that area um, are, are going to do the same thing or stay closer to home. So, you know, now that that being said, you know, if the kids want to come themselves, on, you know, uh, and take trips and stuff, I think Florida is going to welcome them. Not going to, you know, close anybody out. Uh, at, as long as they're not prioritizing Cali kids over Florida kids or just taking extra trips out to Cali, it's not like they're never going to not recruit that state. You're always going to go out there and have somebody on staff that recruits the state of California. But as long as you don't put too much of an emphasis on it, uh, you know, I think it's fine. I think that they thought that they could get in on some kids based on the connections. Um, Those connections aren't going to be there in the future. And I think Florida learned a
3: lot from this cycle.
4: Yeah, I agree. Dan Thompson.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, recruiting California is tough because you don't know a lot of the talent out there. So you have to expend a lot of energy to get out there. You know, a lot of those guys don't play seven on seven football um, over on this side of the country. Whereas if you're Texas East, I mean, all the tournaments that you're going to go to and scout this tower where you're going to be able to kind of see this talent, um, you don't get to see it because California kind of stays in California. Um, everybody makes great points um, with Landers gone. Uh, that was kind of their big recruiting strategy there. Um, I think Ron English had some connections out in uh, California as well. Uh, I'm just not sure how much time Florida actually wasted in California. Um, Obviously, it didn't work out, didn't pan out. Um, But Chris Steele came here by himself, that tight end uh, came here by himself. I know Florida flew out and did the USC camp, but I don't know if Florida really wasted as much time as, as people think that they did. I mean, at the at the same time, they were recruiting the kids in California. They were stopping and checking out kids in Texas and Louisiana along the way, too. So I, I think that it's a little overblown that Florida wasted a ton of time going after these California kids. Uh, California kids, for the most part, don't come out east. But if a kid like Chris Steele says, hey, he's interested in checking out, then as long as the kid is showing interest, which he did and paid his own money, uh, I think you have to go and give it a shot. But you know, I think Florida's biggest strategy is going to kind of stay on the east coast now.
4: Only thing I don't agree with you on there, Grant, uh, on Dan is if, if if you're gonna go out to Chris Steele, you can't like wait last minute and then like start recruiting a guy like Jaden Hill after you miss on Steele. Like it's got to be more of a strategy, not like, like you're
3: you know. I think that that's a question. I don't know if I see it uh, kind of on the topics that we're gonna talk about, but I think we need to talk about what Florida's board looked like and the shakeup that's now happening now because I don't know if Florida was prepared for Chris Steele and some of these other guys to not come to Florida. Uh, so that's a bigger issue besides just the California piece. I think that you have to look at California as gravy more than anything.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing that we're uh, leaving out really is that this isn't, you know, a long-term strategy. Recruiting California is not a long-term strategy. You guys have pretty much hit on the main points. You know, Florida hired guys that had good connections out there. Uh, well, good is, you know, open to interpretation. While well, they perceived that they did. Uh, English and Landers, um, and I'm, I'm sure a few others, had good connections with kids out there uh, before this year. Um, and from what I've been told, you know, that who knows how true it is. Uh, the, the new coaching staff didn't feel um, that the previous staff had done enough work recruiting the 2019 class um, in the state of Florida to pers- make it worthwhile pursuing a lot of those kids like um, uh, the Ryan Davis, the linebacker, and, and all those kids. Um, because they just simply were behind, on, on, like ahead of time, and they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get that uh, the ground made up. So I don't think it's worth worrying too much about. Um, obviously, you know, we're sitting here talking about this, um, you know, near the end of August, uh, signing day hasn't, you know, come yet. So guys like Chris Steele, like Zach said, you know, may never have been considering Florida, but we've already seen it pay dividends. The work Florida did on the recruiting trail has paid dividends with recruits, you know, in the state of Alabama, and Georgia. Um, in other places, um, you never know what could happen. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's, I don't think, you know, the verdict is in whether it's like a good strategy or not yet, but I don't think we should panic because after December, this certainly won't be the strategy, uh, at UF after, after July.
0: Uh, I don't need to, you know, say the same thing that you guys have all said. I will say though, that I think this staff hasn't been afraid to go after big fish like that. Whereas the last staff, I felt like, If they didn't think that they, or if they felt like they had to compete for somebody and that they didn't have the upper hand, that they just wouldn't go after a kid. So I, I can at least appreciate that this class says, "Listen, the worst thing that can happen is we get a no, and that's not, you know, okay, I can deal with that." So I do like that they're going to go after those guys. You just have to have the backup plan in case you swing and miss. If you're swinging for a home run, you're going to strike out every once in a while. You just have to have an approach and have a backup plan.
3: You know what? I was just looking it up. Guess how many California prospects signed with California schools last year in the top 15 on 247? Two. Two of the top 15 Mm. players in California last year signed with schools in California. So I don't think it's a terrible strategy. Um, But I think what Nick said is you have to throw it out there and you don't waste time. I mean, you know, we were done with Chris Steele in June or early July. Um, You give it a shot. If it doesn't work, then you you focus your energy. And now you build relationships locally first.
4: It definitely was a uh – for me, it was a, a a breath of fresh air seeing these guys go out the big prospects, not just in one region. Because we was kind of camped down in South Florida, kind of taking what we can get down there because we had relationships built. These guys came in, they're trying to get elite players, and they're recruiting the whole country. But that is a breath of fresh air. I don't think anything they've done is from uh, any faults they had was from a lack of effort. I think these guys are working hard and they're trying to get recruits in. But I, I don't want to camp out there. We can't get a Cali kid uh, committed by June it's time to move on and start and start pushing for other cats, man. That's just my opinion. I I think June's probably late. I would say like spring, man, spring game. You kind of want those guys to start popping. If not, you got to move on.
0: There's just too much talent in the state of Florida and in Georgia and these surrounding areas to, you know, be wasting time going across the country. So I agree with that, even with that timeline that that
2: you just said. So Bill, you have another point? Well, a quick question first. So Dan, what was the stat you threw out there about the, the last year's California?
3: Yeah, two of the top 15 players on 247's uh, top, you know, prospects in California. Because I went Clemson, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Penn State, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, sure? Georgia, Georgia, South Carolina, or, uh, Southern Cal, Georgia, LSU, Clemson.
2: Are you sure Colorado. you're looking at the right ranking? Because I'm looking at the 2018 California, and it has M1 Ross, St. Brown, Southern Cal, JT Daniel, Southern Cal. The top four went to Southern Cal.
3: Oh, you're right. I was looking at the wrong thing. So <laughs> <laughs> I did that earlier today. It's okay. it's, I, it's I did it twice, twice in to one right. day, bro. <laughs> It threw me for a
6: loop, man. I was like, that's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Dan's that pulling out made up made-up stats, you know? Hey,
6: I, done that must <laughs> be the page that Florida saw. Right. <laughs> 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 no,
2: uh, hey, listen. Uh, uh, my uh, point,
3: though.
1: The one thing well, I do well, want to do here, here,
3: here, Bill, before... In 2017, only two, three, three of the top 15 went to uh, California schools, and they went to Stanford and UCLA. So there hey, you go. Just keep, keep doing research
0: myself. until the numbers back up what you That's said. Right. Oh, man, I was
3: going to go all the way back until I could find something to throw out there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing is – you know, it, it's one thing to go to Oregon and Utah, and it's another thing to come to Florida. And it just you add all these thousands of miles, and it just makes it really tough. Uh, but my point is this. It's all about opportunity cost. And, and, and the one thing I think people need to understand here, you have to understand the calendar for recruiting and how it's been condensed this year. Because the NCAA laid that dead period on in the middle of the summer that started June 25th and went to July 24th, where you couldn't have these visits and, and face-to-face contact and all these things. And so you got these four precious weeks in June to recruit and to host visits and to have camps and to, to go travel the country to see these kids. Well, Mullen and, and Grantham in English took one of those precious weekends on June 10th and they put the circus on the road and went to Southern Cal to coach at the Rising Stars camp. And so you went out there to get FaceTime with Chris Steele, which created, created a stink. And I, I like the aggressiveness of that but that's a weekend you could have spent back on the East coast or in Florida developing racial relationships with guys that you had a much better chance to sign. And we know the quality of Florida kids. So I just think there, there was a concerted effort there where rather than having kids coming in to visit them, they went to the kids. And to me that was indicative of the problem.
4: I, I wasn't mad at that strategy. I think they already had it set in stone that they was working at camp regardless I don't think it was like a strategy that they went to that camp just to recruit those kids. It was just, they was I going think. to that camp. <laughs> you think so? I, think I, think that, I don't think so. I think that decision was made a, a while ago before they was even on Chris still, to be honest with you. But needless to say, but I, I, I don't, we don't need to be in California heavy. I think everybody agrees on that. We have decided um, we should let Mullen know what we've decided. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's watching bro.
5: Hey, but Zach, Zach gets to go out there and shoot videos. Hey. yeah man. They can keep <laughs> recruiting it. I'll go back.
4: <laughs> I'm trying to co-direct next time so, or something. All right, um next next topic, man. On uh, hindsight 2020, man. But looking back on Friday night lights, was it a success? I'm gonna start with Zach.
6: Yes. Absolutely. I mean, no doubt about it. They got commits from it. Um, they have more coming. And it, you know, it was, I think, Dan Mullen's way of putting another stamp on what he's done since he got here from a recruiting perspective. I think that he's done a good job of just trying to create momentum uh, when he gets guys on campus. He did the, you know, the cookout thing. And I know that was a big debate, too, about how beneficial that was. But the point is, you just want to make sure that you're given incentive and reasons for guys to come on campus and come check you out. And Friday Night Lights is still one of those events that has that kind of pull. Um, and they got guys to show up. You know, DeWan Black, I mean, that was his first time ever visiting Florida, and he wanted to be there for that event. I mean, he wanted to work out that night um, and, and be with the coaches and see, hey, do I want to play with these guys? So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it, w- it, it, was, it, it was good as well. But the fact that they also got results from it, uh, I mean, it was definitely a win for Mullen and the staff.
5: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I say yes as well because you know Black, Diabate, Kimbro, and then the 2020 guys—Bingley, uh, Jones, Anthony Richardson—they've uh, all committed since then. And I think you know that being in that environment helped. You know, for some guys, it was the the final piece that they needed to to experience. Uh, you know, being around the other prospects, and for others, it was their first time on campus. And and Mullen was able to to reel them in on on everything they experienced that weekend. So it also put Florida in great shape for. Kyrie Elam, Jaden Hill, Lloyd Summerall, Keon Zipper, Nekwon Wright. So when you go back and look at it and, and what we and what has happened since then. Uh, and I saw the stat yesterday too. You know, Florida with those five commitments that they've they've had committed, but Miami, FSU, nothing's happened with those two programs since the, those camps that they held the same weekend. So Good you point. could definitely you, you you could definitely say Friday Out Last was a success because Florida's been hot on the trail since then, and your other in state schools have kind of been held stagnant.
4: yeah i mean it, it was it was it was um a lot of people wanted fireworks that night i mean i was there uh hung out with zach a little bit so i knew i knew what was in the works i knew zach was working on also on commit videos so i felt comfortable with whatever happened when i was leaving because i just knew what guys we had in the bag man so I, I wasn't stressing it but a lot of people wanted fireworks that night but we're seeing the future of that labor now um like zach said we got a couple more in the works that are cooking and I think Friday Night Lights was definitely a success, man. Um uh, but, what's to, the to argument your,
6: to, to your point, Silk? Uh, that wanted fireworks that night. Dan Mullen wanted fireworks that night. I mean, he wanted Dewan Black to, to go public that night. Dewan wanted to do a video and they right. just had to respect that he wanted to wait a week to do a video about his, you know, deceased brother. So that and a couple other guys that have whatever reasons that they want to wait. You know, it is what it is. As long as you're getting the results, though, and guys are telling you what you need to hear and they come through and actually make the commitment, you know, you can't be nothing but happy.
3: Yeah, I was just going to agree with what Zach was. Well, I was going to say what Zach said. I, I think that Friday Night Lights now and the commitment process is different than what it was eight or nine years ago. I think a lot of kids would announce their commitment at, um, you know, at Friday Night Lights or right after. Now kids want videos or they want, you know, these graphics it- or – edits or whatever it might be. I mean, it's just now part of a process. So you might commit at Friday night lights. And I'm sure a lot of these guys probably told, uh, you know, Mullen and company that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on board, but Hey, just give me some time. Um, so that's where recruiting has changed compared to, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago when, you know, Mac Brown, uh, I'll never forget. I watched Mac Brown commit to urban Meyer and like, they just did an interview after he's like, yeah, I'm committed. It's like, well, that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. You know, as often anymore, right? So it's my fault. Uh, yeah, the good job, bud. <laughs> get
4: that bag, man. You gotta get that bag. Zach. I, I, do, I think.
5: I think some people got worried as well because you know we heard all this positive talk out of the cookouts and all spring through spring practice in the spring game, and then nothing came of it. And then Friday Night last, we heard that same talk, and then you know that same night, nothing really happened. So I think fans got a little worried because oh, here we go again. But it all worked out in the end. Absolutely. I mean, other than getting guys to to come go public
0: that night, like, how can you say it wasn't successful? Like, I don't get I, I mean, you know, go ahead and get your jokes out, you know, on Friday night yeah. when no one's done anything, maybe on Saturday morning if you're from another, another fan base. But I mean, at this point, I don't even know what the argument would be to say that it wasn't a successful uh,
4: event. Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's, just, it's just Twitter stuff, man. It's not really real life. Uh, it definitely wasn't a success. Go ahead, Zach.
1: No, I mean, I'm, let no, me let me, jump in. Said by
4: Nick. let me jump in here real quick. Um,
1: look at Go Florida in, State and look at Miami. How many commitments have they landed since their annual re- recruiting showcase at the end of the month? Zero. Mm. I only study Florida, man. I'm just yeah. saying. If I mean, you have all these. I got to pros- study others, man. I
4: got trolls to get off, so I, I study everybody.
1: You got recruits coming <laughs> from across the country. You got multiple recruits, you know, taking in you know, both events um, and Florida's had five commitments in three weeks since then, um, or whatever, four weeks, or whatever it is since then. So, you know, I think that the numbers pretty much speak for themselves. I think Bill would agree with that.
2: Yeah, I think they, they definitely do. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little later, but I think Florida state is a little vulnerable right now in recruiting. They're not quite taking off like I expected to do it. And any that could change, if they get Nick cross, that's going to be a, a very big boost for them. But, uh, but back to Friday Night Lights, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got you got several commits, and I think it's not only commitments, but the fact that we saw Summerall and Zipper come in and bond at that event uh, where a lot of people had Zip going to Miami before that. They may they may have swayed his recruitment and, and swung it back in the Gators' favor. And to, to have them piling around there, to, to have Florida make that push, those are guys that Florida simply cannot lose out on in this class. If, if it's really going to – achieve a ranking and a, and a stature for the class that, that people are going to look at and say, okay, Mullen's got something going here. You have to have those guys. And, and so when, when they got those guys, looks like, in their in their pocket now, and they got Diabate, which was – that was not uh, an expected uh, pickup for Florida in the weeks prior even. So, yeah, I think Florida made some major inroads. Hopefully they made even further inroads that we haven't seen yet in the class of 2020. Uh, I think it was absolutely a success.
3: Well, and I think it's huge to get your quarterback for 2022, right? Yeah, you're your, yeah, rallying, yeah. you're rallying piece for that entire class because no matter what anybody says, they want to know who the quarterback is. So got go
6: Anthony and Anthony Richardson was not trying to commit that night.
4: Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, I was just gonna he, say that he,
6: he wasn't. He wasn't gonna commit until after his next season yeah. and sometime in the spring. Um, so that that event really influenced uh, that decision for sure, and and obviously all the other guys as well.
4: Lost in the shuffle a little bit, I don't think like anybody that just at that event, watching uh Dan Mullen's wife interact with the recruits, I think she's a gem, man. I think I think the way he you I don't like I say use her, but the way she works with the program, the way she bonds with some of these kids, I think it's a hidden gem, man. I like the way I like the way she does things, man. Just wanted to put that out there. I think it's really dope. Cause she was really hanging out with Lord Summerall and Zip big time.
0: She does that with the with the guys on the team, too. She's kind of always around. Uh, I think a lot of the guys would consider her, you know, uh, like, a, like a, a mother away from home. I uh, mean, she's always been like that. And I talked to guys up in Mississippi State, and she was the same way up there
4: uh, during their nine years uh, up in Starkville. Nice, man. All right, we're going to skip one subject. I know Dave got to sit out, so we'll, 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 we'll skip around a little bit. But the next topic I want to go ahead and jump on, decide uh, of tight end, move the tight end coach and, and – and, ultimately end up leaving and we got great and we got my man Knox. What's everybody's opinion on that move? Recruiting wise. Zach. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, ah, that's tough.
6: Um, that's tough because, I mean, you said recruiting wise, like, Recruiting wise, I mean, of course, if you're going to look at it from a recruiting standpoint, um, and it's not that Knox is a bad recruiter, it's just that um, Cider is clearly more qualified, or is more appropriate. The running back coach at Florida, given his background, given his ties, given his age, his personality, he's just he was just made for the job.
4: Zach frozen in time
6: here in the state, um, you know, from that standpoint, just a different end.
4: Go ahead, bro. You good. You good. It's clearing up. Am I back? You're back. <laughs> go ahead.
6: Okay. So, you know, from that standpoint, yeah. I mean, I I think that if you look at it that way, but from a coaching standpoint, um, and that's not to say that cider isn't a good coach, but uh, Knox is just was, was the way that Mullen wanted to go when you have a guy, that was with you from day one at Mississippi State, coached with you for nine years. Uh, you look at the people that he has on that staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball, he clearly wants people working with him that he has a history with, that know his expectations, that can look at him and they can you know, communicate on the field without even having to say anything to each other. He was not going to go without Greg Knox. It's just, that's just the way it was. So it, it doesn't even matter what recruiting repercussions may come from that. That's the decision that he was going to make. Um, and feel like he has a good enough program and a good enough staff um, that they can still get the job done recruiting-wise.
0: Yeah, I think there, there's so much familiarity. When you look at these guys, I mean, Knox has been around for 31 years, and I think he's only, been, only had like two coaches. So there's a loyalty on his part. Um, and, and then I think you might trade if – I'm, if I'm a coach, you might trade that familiarity and, and, and knowing without having to say it hey, I need you – this is the kind of guy we're all on the same page. This is the kind of guy we're trying to get. I trust you to go get him rather than trying to work a new guy who you're not familiar with into that mix. I don't think that Greg Knox is the same level of recruiter, but in the grand scheme of things, if he works better with, with the coaches they have and works better as a unit, things might go smoother. So it's kind of a thing where you might take a little bit of a step back, but in the grand scheme of things, it might not be a step back. Uh, you know from what it looks like from our from our standpoint from the outside
3: yeah i don't i i guess i don't know the whole situation i mean obviously i know you know a little bit but you know if cider was given the opportunity to move to tight end coach and kind of stick in that same position and then he chose to leave yeah he didn't want you know, that yeah, and I don't know why. I don't know if tight ends looked as a downgrade. I mean, I don't know how much of an upgrade over tight end coach being a running back coach is. Maybe one of you guys can can help me on that one. Um, but, I mean, I think you have to go with the guy that you're comfortable with running your running back position, especially when you're unsure about your quarterback, when you're unsure about what that offense is going to look like. You probably have to change up the scheme, and you've had a coach that you've coached with your entire time at Mississippi State that's going to take over. A stable of running backs that at the time was – really deep, you know, four deep. And now they have, you know, two great players that they just added. So I think that you take, you know, a slight loss in recruiting to get a coach that you're super comfortable with. I think them replacing the tight end coach with Larry Scott's not a huge, you know, decrease in recruiting ability. Um, I think we're just seeing a decrease in recruiting ability because they're still missing a couple of pieces in some other areas. Maybe it's an offensive line, you know, maybe there's not the same kind of dogs that some folks want in that role. It's certainly a better recruiting staff in my position than the last staff. but
4: Yeah, I agree with that, uh, with, the, with the last staff. But overall, this, this staff is definitely better recruiters. But I thought the side after they moved into the tight end coach, before it was announced, he had already told me what was going on. He's just not <laughs> a fan. The uh, side of ultimate ultimate goal is to be an offensive coordinator. He just thinks tight end coaches is, is a dead end. Like They're recruiters. That's their niche. They, they work with a few guys in practice. There's yeah. it's not a lot to it. So he he was good as gone once they moved him to tight end coach because ultimately he wants to be an offense coordinator. He just think tight is a dead end. I'm
3: just curious if that maybe well rounds him a little bit more to be an offense coordinator, right? I mean, has he been anything on the offense besides a running back coach?
4: He's coached wide receivers in the past.
3: Yeah, but and that's I, a real, that's
0: a real thing too. Guys get labeled as just a recruiter, and, and that that'll stop you dead in your tracks if you're trying to advance your career and and be more than just a position coach.
4: Yeah, that because that's the that's the label on him now is he he's a a good recruited. He's a recruiting ace and he don't want that to stick on. And he just be no, no, no offense to Larry Scott, but I mean, that's kind of what Larry Scott's going to be like the rest of his career, like a recruiting ace, man. They, people are hiring him as a tight end coach, but his job is to come here and get guys.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, and
4: look what we're talking about. We're talking about the recruiting impact. We didn't really mention him as
2: a loss last night at all. So you can understand why he'd be concerned about that stigma uh, to, to me. The biggest jolt this has provided is not in and of itself but in combinations with other things because you've got a guy that was connected down there in your neck of the woods, and so, in Palm Beach, a guy that was really going to help Florida uh, probably throughout the state but certainly in Central and South Florida, and then he departs. You replace him at running the running back coach, which is typically a recruiter position, with a guy that doesn't have a lot of connections here, and then at the same time you start looking nationally as far as California. So I think that created somewhat of a vacuum in the state of Florida. So you not only lost connections and lost a Florida-based recruiting structure on your staff, but then you also decided to exacerbate that and turn outside.
4: And I think that has kind of contributed to this slow start. All right, let me chime in one second. In my opinion, I think with with Sido and and, and recruiting, if we had him, I think we'd be in a better place with Trey Sanders. and And I believe that wholeheartedly. What about like Dunmore? I don't think Dunmore was from side of leaving. I don't know how high he is on the board. To be honest with you, I, I don't know you. if they were pushing for Dunmore. I don't know. I don't think Dunmore was from us losing him. I don't think Florida it's State fun. was pushing for him either. Yeah, he he, he he got speed issues, and I think uh it was kind of holding up. I don't think he was high on the board, and he's smaller than what Dan Mullen likes at receiver. You got any other like, negatives about him? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I Dunmore. <laughs> I want
3: to and ask Graham this question. I mean, how much of a loss is Cider to Larry Scott?
1: How much of a drop off is that? Yeah. I mean, from what spectrum recruiting? Um, I, well, think, yeah. I think. I think it's two. minor. I think at the end of the day, I mean, look at look at Cider right now. He's at Penn State. I mean, is he going to be able to draw the same amount of Florida recruits to Penn State? I know that Penn State has done very well in recent years, as they should when it comes to recruiting, but. Larry Scott, you know, has coached at the high school level, coached at USF as far back in 2004. I mean, I think the real question is, yeah, if Sider wouldn't coach tight ends, I think you have to look at um, the transition of the tight end and running back coach together um, from Nord and Sider to, you know, Scott and Knox. And then I think it's clear that, that Florida upgraded. I mean, I agree. you know, Scott is, is kind of cider light when it comes to presence in South Florida and Greg Knox, there's a reason he was named the interim head coach at Mississippi state. Um, and I mean, even the, the running backs right now, the, the praise they've given him is that he understands um, the footwork and the mental side of being a running back better than any coach that they've had. Um, I, I don't know if you can put a price on that right now. There's a reason, you know, Dan Mullen, like you guys have said, wanted him to come um, and that, you know, I don't know how much people, how much you guys know, but prior to, um, Even, you know, signing day, you know, Dan Mullen tried to even bring back Brad Davis um, to try and save NPF um, uh, from signing with Ohio State. Um, So I think that, you know, Florida ended up with the best case scenario because that wouldn't have been an upgrade over Larry Scott either. Um, And I think, yeah, I think the right way to look at it is the combination of the tight end and the running back uh, transition from McIlwain staff to Mullen's.
2: And one other thing, Greg Knox is handling special teams, is he not?
1: Yeah, Florida. And so worked.
2: you have –
1: considering the state of Florida special teams
2: right now, Nick that could players. have been a big factor in Mullen's decision to put somebody in there that he trusts to get that job done because it, it needs help in the worst way. Yeah, great point,
6: Bill, because like I said, I don't think that he was going to hire – not hire Greg Knox uh, yeah. just from – just because of the offensive coaching standpoint, him being his running back coach, I didn't even consider the special teams. That that, that even you know made more reason why he wasn't going to go um, – I will say, and I don't want to get into specifics, but, um, you know, I don't think that uh, Dan Mullen and that staff feel like they lost this huge recruiting, um, you know, force in, in Juwan Sider. I, really I mean,
4: won. I don't, I don't to a certain extent neither. That's my boy, yeah. but I, not to a certain well, extent, well, but the, the, yeah, the, well, the
6: but, but the reason why I say that though, and a lot of people don't know this, but Um, you know, when that staff was kept by Mullen, uh, the, the, the assistants that did stay on board, uh, and then the new ones that were brought in, Mullen creates competition every way he can in that building from players to coaches and everybody. So there was competition to try and go out and recruit guys. Um, and from, you know, just what I've been told by people that, that know what they're talking about, um. You know, I think that Sider maybe represented himself and that he could go out and maybe get more guys than he was capable of getting. Um, And when he kind of fell short and Florida didn't get those guys, uh, I think that kind of hurt his stock and his credibility within that coaching staff. So him being moved to or asked to move to tight end and feeling like they could bring in Greg Knox, I think in some ways um, was a result of that stuff.
4: Inside a heat from a man, Zach. I see you, baby. I mean, I'm not
6: gonna, I'm not gonna get into uh, specific guys that were I named, either. but there were specific guys that were named that um, Florida, I think, felt like they were gonna be able to go get because of Cider, just like they had guys in Cali that they felt like they could go get because of Landers and or English,
4: and when you don't deliver, you don't deliver. All right, everybody, good on that topic. Oh, Dave, you're back, man. We was talking about you might you might as well jump in on it and get your opinion before we move on. Was We're talking it? about the, the uh decider uh Knox swap. How do you feel about it, recruiting wise?
5: Uh recruiting wise, I'm not gonna hate on Knox too much for what he's done. He, he's been in on the, the one black Kimbrough, and a few others. Uh he hasn't wowed as far as numbers go. Uh so you know, maybe you know, through, by the time February rolls around, he gets in there with numbers. He's like I said, he's been in there on some of the big name guys they've brought in so far. Uh but he he's not going to match what Snyder would have been doing right now.
4: Uh, you missed a lot, but, but from what like <laughs> what Bill Graham and a couple other guys brought, I kind of see what they're saying from like a, a whole uh company makeup that Dan got going on. It kind of made sense,
5: man. Well, yeah, yeah, um, I brought that up yesterday. You know, when we were talking about the continuity of the coaching staff and what yeah. that meant for Dan Mullen, and you know, there's no, there's not a lot of guessing game going on with the, with the staff. He knows and what to expect from every guy.
6: And you can say what you would about, um, you know, what uh, Sider could be doing if he was still on staff. I think Florida would obviously be better off for it. There's no question about that. Even what if he didn't, you know, deliver on some promises or expectations, he was still a, a good person to have. But at the end of the day, if we're getting away from the recruiting and just talking about it strictly from a coaching standpoint, Florida and Dan Mullen are better off having Knox and Larry Scott as a tight end coach instead of, Knox and Sider as a tight ends coach. And that's just, yeah. that's just the reality of it.
4: Absolutely. All right. Since my man um, Dave's back, let's get on to, to, to this next topic, man. Should we have pursued a uh, quarterback transfer? Uh, we had Corey Sandberg and Joe Burrows out there. Let's start with Dave. He's waiting on this one.
5: Man, we got in trouble on this one, his breakdown. So, <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, uh, Will most more so than I, but I, I'm a big Burrow guy too. But you know, uh, Will's Will's all about him, and I, I think for good reason. A, a little bit now, here here's my main issue or, or with it. I'm 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 in the type of you throw everything at the quarterback position until it gets fixed. Uh, now, you know, that may not be Mullen's way of thinking, and I'm okay with that. He's the head coach; he can do whatever he wants to do, and he, he he's he'll be right more than I will. Uh, but you know and the way looking at Burrow now and what he's doing at LSU, he doesn't look like the savior from what we've heard, you know, going through scrimmage notes that we've heard so far there. Uh, but look, that's what I said. If, if he went to LSU, he was going to be better at Florida than he was at LSU because I'm not a believer in that staff over there. Uh, Steve Insminger is offensive of coordinator. I, I'm not a believer in that. I'm not a believer in Ed Orgeron. I, I, if Burrow was going there, he 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 would not be – what he could be at LSU, what he could be at Florida. He'd be better at Florida, you know, and, um, you know, maybe he wouldn't be the savior here at Florida, maybe not, but, you know, being under Meyer for the last few seasons, I think it would have been nice to at least see how he fit here, uh, given similar style offense, a similar style offensive coach, uh, but like I said, first and foremost, I, I, I'm in the mindset of throw everything at this quarterback position until you until you get it figured out. Because look, we I mean, look where we're sitting at right now. with still wondering about uh, the Franks and and, and Trask. Maybe we maybe maybe we'd still be wondering if it was Burrow, I and mean, it'd be a three way battle instead of a two way battle. But you uh, know, and, and it's pure guesswork. But I I'd still think maybe he uh, he he would be out ahead in the race.
3: I don't know. Um, I don't think that he's all that impressive at, uh, at Ohio State or at LSU. Um, Cord Sandberg, it, it kind of the same. I mean, he's in baseball. And we're seeing with Lucas Kroll, it, it takes a while to get back into the swing of things. No matter, uh, you know, what kind of skill set you have, it's still going to take a while. You know, Florida has three quarterbacks on their roster. They only have one ball per game. And, you know, I think at some point in time, you have to try to develop that talent. You can't continue to try to bring in talent to – to take away those snaps and to try to take away the ball from, you know, somebody else you know, I truly think that Florida is going to run an offense at least this year and maybe the next year's um, that is not quarterback heavy. I I think that they're going to really rely on their running backs. And so I don't know if Joe Burrow would have been much of an upgrade if at all. I mean, if you're losing the LSU quarterback battle right now, definitely probably wouldn't be winning the Florida quarterback battle either. So uh, I, I don't think that was a good use of time. I think you throw a feeler out there just to see if it's not, you know, something that you can get immediately, then you just move on and you stick with what you have and you try to bring in somebody that you can uh, develop on your own.
2: You know, I really loved the idea of Cord Sandberg just because of the familiarity, you know, and what he looked like on paper, uh, obviously haven't seen him do a whole lot uh, other than just high school tape. Uh, and, you know, I really got on McIlwain for not bringing more quality arms to camp. He was just seeing no offense to the the guys that he brought in his grad transfers, but it was just, they all felt like journeymen from the onset, you know? And, and I'm, so I'm a big fan of bringing quality arms to camp, but that said, I'm going to trust Mullen. Uh, I mean, at the quarterback position, the guy seems to know what he's doing. Uh, I think there are some questions about his ability to field, you know, high power passing games. Uh, but he, he feels a pretty good offense. We've got to see what he could do with Calver a player. He'd get at Florida, um, and quite frankly, it looks like he's got an agenda that he's going out fulfilling the way he wants it at quarterback. Got both the Jones guys, got um, the Anthony Richardson coming in in 2020. So every year he's lining them up. Once a year getting his guy, he's going to live and die with, with that, and we'll see how it goes. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now.
1: Yeah, I think that the grad transfer route is um, not the way Florida should have gone. I don't think Sandberg is really going to be ready. Um, to start for any team this year or be really a good quarterback, just, you know, coming from baseball so soon recently. Um, You know, obviously, if there was a quarterback out there like Jarrett Stidham, it'd be a different conversation, and and I'd be all in favor of Florida pursuing them. But, you know, Florida has taken grad transfer quarterbacks in back-to-back years, and we can argue about how, you know, whether they were successful or beneficial to the program or not. Um, but at the no, end of the day,
4: argue. we can't really argue. <laughs> <laughs> I, would,
0: I, would love hear, I would love to hear that argument,
5: Graham. To say that, in, in a way, that when Del Rio went no, down, when, and, if, no, if, if, if Appleby, and if Appleby didn't go in, you know, it would, you. it would have been even worse. Without Appleby,
6: they don't go back to the SEC championship now. They got killed okay. in the SEC championship, so it not matter. I could live with that. But you still yeah. went to the SEC championship. fire sooner. Yeah, but – um, you, you, no, he that 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 situation helped him, not not chime in. no other, Look, other,
5: man, you got to give Appleby his props, man. Other than be deserved of it. With man. me, what did you get out of that game, Zach? I, you know, you I, know what I got. I, when, when Florida went to LSU and beat LSU after that hurricane, you know how good I felt as a Gator fan.
6: That was I felt relieved. Old. I'm not gonna say they I felt they that we yeah, got a winning bro. I don't say yeah. They mean. don't they don't beat LSU without uh, Austin Appleby. You, know you know how hurt you know hurting Zach and I were in that
0: press box after the <laughs> After a night in, <laughs> out in New Orleans. Hey, in the moment, in the
5: moment, it felt good. Finish up, Graham. Well, one, back, of the, yeah.
1: one of the things yeah, for yeah. sure you also could debate is having grad transfer, you know, quarterbacks on the roster. What That was a big reason Felipe Franks redshirted. And, you know, we're now talking about a redshirt sophomore Felipe Franks rather than a junior Felipe Franks. I mean, what if Felipe, you know, decides to come back next year? Um, I, just because, you know, we can trace it back to them taking another grad transfer QB because they didn't develop one ahead of time. And then you have a more crowded QB room. You know, you look back last year uh, in fall camp, you had three quarterbacks, Malik Zaire, Felipe Franks, and Luke Del Rio splitting first team reps. That limits the development of all QBs, limits Malik Zaire's chances of getting the offense. Luke Del Rio, who already understood the offense better than anyone, shouldn't have been taking first team reps. He should be working as the backup, and they should have been propping up Felipe better last year but they were in a bind where they thought that they should be trying to incorporate Malik Zaire as possibly the starting quarterback because Felipe wasn't ready. It was a bad strategy for sure. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, the win against LSU, the leading them to the SEC championship game, they may have a more crowded QB roster because of it. Um, and it kind of, you know, I I mean, it, it, sets them back. Um, when, you know, you're, you're going out recruiting and you have a guy like, Uh, you know, Austin Appleby or Malik Zaire on the roster and you see a guy like Felipe Franks about to redshirt, maybe that is also a big part of the reason that they might have missed on, you know, fields because they they were already going to have a quarterback conversation. Who knows um, how much of an effect that had uh, redshirting Felipe because you had grad chance for QBs. I don't know. Um, So I don't think it really, um, unless there's an absolute stud QB out there, I don't think it's ever worth pursuing.
0: Justin Fields was not scared of any quarterback. I promise you that.
1: I promise I you understand, that. I understand that. But you knew that Florida was going to at least have a quarterback conversation if they still had Felipe and Justin Fields.
0: And it would have started and ended with Justin Fields. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he <helped>. One <laughs> would he, hope. One he would he absolutely
4: he hope. Fields probably only liked Florida because he came and saw them dudes throw the ball. He's probably like, yeah, this is, I can start day one. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. You
1: mean it wasn't because Max said come and, come and be in the orange and or blue, man?
4: <laughs> <laughs> is that how you sound yeah man no that's really no, no
6: no 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 he said every time it's funny because every kid would say this too he would say blue and orange yeah so oh. you look good in blue and orange
5: well there
6: we go like, we, it was after like the 10th kid said that to me i'm like yeah he had to go just keep saying yeah. blue and orange
1: yeah. that was, he he it, the first time now
5: we know yeah. the problem now we know the problem
0: uh i i pretty much the same thing. i just don't know i mean you I think it's you come in and you can know, like, I don't have the guy. And, and you can tell by the guys he's going at that, that damn moment and his staff are going after now at quarterback and, and what they do, what their what their their physical traits are, that you don't have that guy on, on campus. So why not bring somebody else in? If you're gonna say to me, we haven't picked a quarterback because competition makes people better, then bring other guys in. Because I don't, in my opinion, you don't have that dude on campus right now. So I don't see i don't see the damage in bringing somebody else in and hey maybe you know i talked to urban and and he gave me his scouting report uh on Burrow, but i see him in, i see him in person he gets on campus and i think it's different you know i i don't see the the hurt in it but I'm, I'm not very high on on the quarterbacks right now so but that's probably why
2: you know it just hit me when we were talking about this uh, zach was talking about the importance of getting to the the championship game. And I, I fully understand that. I, I really do get where you're coming from. And then Dave was talking about his good memory of of LSU. But it also kind of just makes me realize how desperate we are as Gator fans right now to feel good about something. And, and what I want Mullen to do is, and of course, he, he's got to have depth. And, and even I said, you got to bring quality arms to camp. But I want him to make moves. That are putting Florida in position to win the SEC. This is about winning a championship and beating your rivals, and anything short of that is not good enough. That's the way and it goes. To
6: that, and so, and to, the, and to that point, if Felipe Franks goes out there and falls flat on his face in Baton Rouge and they don't win that game, he'll be better off for it, you know, in the future. So, I mean, it definitely, a fair, good point. fair enough. Like I said, and, and, and as I say, I, I'm just saying, you know, Graham Poe's did those guys do any? Did any good come from it? I think with Appleby, at least you know he did get you to Atlanta. Dyer obviously was. a – It's a fair but, point for sure. But I was the. I mean, I I was. I don't know how many media members were, but I was one of the ones that wrote after the championship that they needed to start Felipe Franks in the Citrus Bowl because at that point there was no there was no point to keep going with Appleby. That game did nothing for the future of their program. Um, but I mean, you can make an argument that they should have should have went to that sooner. But they were trying to play. For championships, so I get it.
0: Well, I wrote, I wrote it too because I remember being called an idiot for
2: writing it.
6: Well, I mean, the problem a- is, a- is right. that to start with, and that comes through
2: recruiting. I mean, 2002 to 2007, they bring in nine quarterbacks over six years, and eight of them are blue chips. But then you go 2007 to 2000, excuse me, 2008 to 2017, that whole era, they only brought in six blue chip quarterbacks. Yeah, and, it had to so, be. A,
4: it had to be a culture change. Um, yeah, I'm tired of transfer guys man i'd rather them take the time and develop a quarterback there's no quick fix to this thing man get a guy put him in the system let these guys go through the system and i also you gotta you gotta consider um recruiting as well this is a recruiting show i think if you bring in grad transfers in i think those guys like Jalen jones and the guys you're recruiting are looking at it as well um that's another guy that's taking the reps away from them and 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 ruining practice and development of the young guys so uh was i interested in it yeah man but i also think he he him and urban are friends man so urban had to tell him something that or and he i'm pretty sure he got practice film and stuff like that it was something he didn't see and he didn't like it so i'm with you bill i trust dan man so i'm gonna ride with Dan on, on the quarterback situation
5: yeah i, I didn't mean I, to make it sound like i didn't either i do so <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, I agree with um
6: bill as well you have to trust him on he uh he has more quarterback knowledge than everybody on this combined, and that includes all the people that are watching. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing, and not only did he watch film on Joe Burrow because he had it sent to him, but he, he knew everything that there was to know about Cord Sandberg. So mm-hmm. a guy like that to get that much knowledge and information on two guys and decide to pass, you just have to trust his decision there.
3: I will say I think Florida's is a completely different program right now. If they would have gone after Jarrett Stidham when everybody else was,
4: yes. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I man, if, if, if us missing on Stidham means yeah. you know what I'm saying, I'd rather miss on Stidham and have Dan Mullen there than still have Matt here, bro. <laughs> no, I'm be no, honest I, with you. I agree, listen. But, listen. But I the will, is, the Will Greer thing was
6: an act of God. If you
3: really look yeah at yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, thank because, you,
6: GMC. Because, right? because listen, he would still when be geez, here bro, without a doubt. There's no doubt if Greer were still the quarterback, McAween would have had it made in the shade. Right
5: now, he would have had death threats to talk about. He does have it made in the
0: shade. He's getting paid by two universities, <laughs> coach <court>
6: receivers. <laughs> Is,
5: he Is he
0: still? He saw, he's,
6: he's also I'm got Matt. his former. He's also got his former walkout on quarterback. <laughs> Call
4: them out. And, imagine and be imagine your own people Ma- back and be your own people. Imagine Matt demonstrating a nine route.
5: <laughs> I, a think he, I think that yeah, sharp. I, movie, I think that sharp movie that came out a couple weeks ago. I think, was, I, think he, I think he was in the matinee. The Meg. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, next topic, man. Um. We look at the Mississippi State roster, uh, those guys are ranked pretty high and they're pretty much uh, getting a lot of accolades in, in the media in this this offseason. Uh, Dan Mullen built that roster. So I want to talk about evaluation versus stars, man. Bill, the, the numbers guy, so.
2: It, well, as far as this roster, I, I mean, first I would say they were a nine and four team last year that beat one ranked opponent. It was LSU that had major trouble. Um, that was the only team they beat that had less than five losses. Uh, according to the 247 talent Composite, they've got a top 25 roster uh, as far as stars go. And so they're, Dan Mullen's a good coach, and they got a functional quarterback, and that's what you would expect about a, a team like that. But if you, if you look at the players that, that Dan Mullen uh, coached to a, APL SEC status in the pro, postseason – he did it with higher ranked players at a higher rate that correlates to the same rate as Florida. I mean, he, his blue chip uh, prospects at MSU made all SEC 22% of the time, while the non-blue chips made it 6.5%. Since 2002 at Florida, the blue chips have made it 25% of the time, while the non-blue chips, have, and that's the below four stars, have made it 4.6% of the time. The NFL draft, his blue chips uh, made it, tw- or excuse me, at UF have made it 25% of the time been drafted. For non-blue chips, it's only 12%. At Mississippi State, almost exactly the same. 24% of his blue chips were drafted, uh, 9% of his non-blue chips. So he does have a 1.9 better success rate at coaching three stars to all SEC status. But other than that, you know, yes, he did find Dak Prescott's a three-star quarterback. There are exceptions. Um, But the guy does it with pretty good talent, and he also – averaged about fifth, I think, in in the West over his nine years there. He, he did pretty well, but it's pretty much correlates to the stars talent he had. However, he was a good coach and won the games he was supposed to.
0: I think the difference in being the coach at Mississippi State and being the coach at Florida is you're not, you don't need to go the Juco route. You don't need to go out and find those guys that aren't being heavily recruited. You've got that University of Florida, that Gator logo on your chest, you don't need to settle for guys that you think, okay, in two, three years, I think he'll be a player that can make an impact for us. You can go out and get four- and five-star guys that can make an impact right away. So I think when you're looking at Mississippi State, it's a school that you have to go to the junior college route. You have to find those diamonds in the rough. When you're at Florida, kind of like they did when we were talking earlier, um, you know take your shot, shoot your shot at that five-star. And I think that's the difference in that I think if they try to – recreate what they did in Mississippi State here at Florida and, and, and go that route of getting the lesser recruited guys that you're doing a disservice to yourself and to the university because you should be able to go and compete for the you know, those blue chip guys.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting conversation because it's it, for me, I look at what he did in Mississippi State and um, it's really hard to knock the recruiting aspect in terms of what they signed and even even try to look at it uh, for those nine years and have an expectation for what he'll be able to do at Florida because it's just hard to attract top talent as everyone knows to Starkville. Having said that, that the guys that he did sign and the talent that he did have, I think that not only did he, you know, overachieve or do his best with it, as Dan said yesterday, he changed what Mississippi State is. And you know, you know, some of those years that he was there You know, maybe they didn't uh, have a lot of, you know, top 10 wins or anything like that. But they beat a lot of the programs that used to, you know, beat their brains in parentally. And, you know, they kind of changed the balance of the SEC West all because of what he built there. And now everybody's talking about how great Mississippi State could be this season because of the team that that he put together. So um, my kind of thinking is if, if, you know, he can take his coaching, everyone knows he can coach. We saw at Mississippi State that he can develop rosters and get the most out of two star talent and overachieve better than anybody else ever did at Mississippi State. Now he comes to Florida. Can you take that coaching? Can you take that development and then recruit really well? And if they get elite players and we know that they can develop and we know that they can coach, I mean, that's the formula right there.
1: Yeah, I think that um, we need to make it, you know. We we need to establish the difference between, you know, Dan Mullen found uh, Dak Prescott and Dan Mullen developed Dak Prescott into the quarterback that he is. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, while he is a senior, um, you know, was a two-star uh, quarterback coming out of high school. And Dak Prescott had offers from, you know, a few SEC schools, but he was not being pursued heavily. Um, I think that, you know, people do underestimate the work that Dan Mullen has done. When you look at putting quarterbacks in the NFL, starting quarterbacks in the NFL, I mean, you can give Dan Mullen credit for several of those um, in terms of development. I um, uh, who at least have um, made it out um, or were successful SEC starters. So um, I, I think that that's a big part of, I mean, you look at the preseason rankings, um, you know, the projections based are, are a lot of those are based off of how, Um, highly regarded Dan Mullen is not only as, like you guys have said, a coach, but as a developer, it's as, uh, you know, developing front end talent. Um, You know, rankings are deceiving. Um, Guys like Antonius Clayton start out as two stars. And then by the end of the cycle, by a week before signing day, they're a five star prospect. I know that, you know, we, we talk about blue chips as if they were always blue chips, but there are certain recruits who based on the prestige of the school rise up the rankings strictly because of that. Dan Mullen didn't really get those bumps at Mississippi State, so it is kind of hard to discern, you know, how good those guys are in perspective. But I think when you look at quarterbacks, you look at development of offensive talent, you look at—I mean, they they added a lot of defensive line talent in recent years. I think Dan Mullen does deserve a lot of that credit, and um, and especially for the work that he did developing those players once they got on campus.
5: Yeah, I think for the expectations, you know. For what he could bring in at Mississippi State, we saw how it play out, and it played out probably about the the best it could with the talent he was bringing in. I want to see Mullen evaluate and get five and four stars, five and four star talent instead of the majority three stars and sprinkle in. Four stars and five stars. You know, we've already seen how that plays out. We've seen, you know, he, he he hit his limit at Mississippi State with the talent he's bringing in. Now that talent pool is going to go up. He's at a place where he can get the talent, and I believe once he does, then he's set up to become a, a perennial national contender. he develops up there with, the, with with the best in the country. So let's see him get the chance to develop some of the elite recruits. Uh, and I think Florida will be hard to stop in that scenario because you you go back and, and you know some you guys mentioned. Uh, being competitive with with the schools that used to kick their you know kick mississippi state, Mississippi state brains in and, and I think I, I went back and did the numbers there he was besides Alabama, the teams that out recruited Mississippi state on a, a perennial basis you your auburn your lSU you Texas a and m your old miss he was within a touchdown average score from his whole time at Mississippi state with those schools you average all the scores together he was within a touchdown of all the games played against those guys, so yeah he he closed the gap at Florida he can exceed the gap
3: yeah no I agree um you know I think it's going back to to what Bill said uh, at the beginning when he talked about the talent and the the conversion rate of blue chips and of non-blue chips and 1.3 or 1.4 percent and all this other stuff <laughs> and that, that's awesome new I mean but but the question started with how talented that Mississippi state roster is right now and I just looked it up they were the 12th eighth and 11th ranked SEC program in recruiting and now they're widely considered probably a top. Maybe four roster uh, in the SEC this year. And so that's made up of why? a lot of. Why? What, why what what
5: fact
2: is there to suggest that they're the fourth best roster in the country? Who have they beaten to merit that? What well, objective I said in the, fact I, is there?
3: Well, I said in the SEC, and if I said in the country, I apologize, but in the SEC, they're probably the fourth, maybe fifth best. Um, I, I mean, I can we can rattle off a, a list of schools that are worse than they are. So you're going to put that's them irrelevant. somewhere then you're going to put them somewhere between fourth and probably seventh, right? Fourth and eighth. No.
2: Where have they finished in the sec West, his whole career? Oh, well, I'm not saying I'm talking about this, this upcoming year. Okay. Which hasn't happened. And we're calling him right. the fourth best. And I'm saying, what objective fact is there to back up any of the stuff we're saying?
3: I, I think that it's just based on projection of the fact that they're now saying that Mississippi state has the best roster that they've ever had.
2: Uh, based on what?
3: That's, that's what projections are. I mean, we'll see where we are at the end of the year. Right, But, I mean, there's a reason that they're ranked 18th and Florida's not. There's a reason that they're widely considered to beat Florida and they have a talented roster that right now we'll see what, what happens. Right, We don't know. But I think right now when you're considering that you have a team that was ranked 12th, 8th, and 11th in STC recruiting in 2014, 2015, 2016, if that roster is now widely considered and going to have a discussion – based on how good that team might be, then that's also focused around the development of those players. And that's where I was going to go before he jumped in.
2: Yeah, and, and but my, my point is this. We're saying, oh, they're supposed to be one of the best rosters. Well, for one thing, I, I think they're being a little overhyped, and I want to see what Joe Moorhead can do with – because Mullen did a great job with Fitzgerald, but they were not they were not great all, uh, in the passing game last year. As a matter of fact, I think they were 112th nationally. So is Moorhead going to be able to come in there and do that? And furthermore, it's a team that's built to play better teams close without losing. But they're not beating anybody. Everybody talks about, oh, they're, they're great. And he does all this with the stars. But why would all these teams, like Graham was talking about, oh, well, uh, Taylor and Callaway and they get all these bumps because they're higher prestige. Well, why do all these teams with all these players that got all these bumps keep kicking their ass every year? Because the ones that are better are beating them and they're not winning the West. And I'm not saying that Mullen is not a good coach. I think he's a great coach. But I want to know where's the objective evidence that this guy is so much better of a coach that he can win with so lower rated players? Because I keep
6: hearing right. that everybody's saying he just needs better players. Well, yeah,
2: he does. It's, it's, Everybody it, it, it,
4: does.
6: Well, it's comparative to, to all the other coaches in Mississippi State history. I think yeah. that's the comparison. I was
4: about to say. Yeah, and traditionally, you look at the other coaches that have had that job. I mean, what he's done, he beat some ranked teams. He he's been he got ranked up to like number one at one point in time, what one point in time. So he's done some stuff that has never been done in Mississippi State. That's why he's highly regarded uh outside of everything. But besides that, I mean we look at the average ranking of our recruiting class right now, the average star ranking. It's a top 10 average star ranking right now. So I don't think we have an issue of of just evaluating and not getting the stars. I, I do think we're gonna cut some fat off this uh commitment list. In the near future, um, I think he's going to get big-time recruits. I think he knows what, what he got to do to win at Florida. I think so, too. And don't get me wrong, guys. I think he did a great
2: job. But I'm just saying I don't see any objective evidence to suggest that he's can overcome significant stars-based talent deficiencies.
3: But there's nothing to say that he won't, right? There's nothing to say that he doesn't have the ability to develop or bring that talent in either, right?
2: I could turn into a zebra. But, I mean, where is the evidence?
3: Okay, so, but you don't have to say that he won't, right? I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. I I do. We're going to disagree that we can disagree in the same route. I do.
2: When I look at his record and see that without Dak Prescott, he averaged 6.9 wins and 5.7 losses with a 5.1 rank in the SEC West, that tells me that he's playing up to about his star ranking talent on his roster.
3: Sure. And would you agree or disagree that recruiting talent to Mississippi State is difficult or less difficult than I think it's the extremely
2: board. difficult. And in no way is an indictment on his recruiting ability.
3: Okay, perfect. And would you say that Mississippi state is a better program after Dan Mullen or before Dan Mullen it is
2: absolutely better. He's been so, a wonderful thing for the program.
3: So you're saying that Dan Mullen coming in objectively made a Mississippi state program. That was probably a bottom dwelling program. That's a very difficult place to recruit. Probably one of the toughest in the sec, not only a, school that is nationally ranked and has some prominence right now, but probably has a pretty good roster enough where people would rank them pretty high right now and consistently throughout Dan Mullen's career.
2: Yeah. I think that they're okay. probably going to end up in 20 to 25 in, in talent. And if Moorhead does a good job, maybe he pulls an upset or two, especially at Fitzgerald. Because one thing I acknowledge is Mullen is a tremendous quarterback developer and quarterbacks make a big difference. Uh, but I believe – uh, Ole Miss saw a similar situation when they got a hold of Eli Manning in won 10-11 games, just like Mullen only had one 10-game season or 10-win season with Prescott, and, and quarterbacks make the difference. I agree that Mullen makes a difference with quarterbacks, but I just don't see – I don't see any objective evidence to suggest that he can outcoach the Stars. Tune
0: in to the next panel when Bill turns into a zebra. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Holy shit. I'm sorry. All right, uh, next topic, man. Uh, I want to have a opinion on strongest and weakest guy on the trail. Don't get scared. Ooh. All
1: right, well, it's got to be C Rob. I mean, when it comes to strongest, um, you look at the linebackers they've lo- they've landed. It's it's shaping up to be one of the top linebacker classes in, in Florida history. I mean, Dewan Black, uh, diabetes um you know you got you got um uh, I mean, hopper who is you know ranked the number top 130 player by rivals um florida hasn't had that type of linebacker talent um i think it's even better than what was anzalone's class um i mean they had top talent we'll have to see how these guys shape up but the way hopper and dewan black who is like the number 53rd player or something like that um the way they're trending right now it's not without the side of the realm of possibility that, that both those guys finishes, you know, either high four stars or, you know, black is in a position where he could possibly become a five star by the end of the entire um, recruiting cycle. So um, I think that C-Rob gets a lot of credit for that, especially when you consider all the other factors, him being very young, new to the state of Florida, um, you know, recruiting for a four and seven team. Uh, I think the weakest right now, is Ron English, um, strictly because of, (laughs) uh, I guess the recruiting, you know, uh, strategy in California is a big part of it. Um, but Florida, you know, if they hope to live up to the, you know, DBU moniker, um, they need to go out and land some safeties, uh, which, you know, I mean, Charles, Charles and Warren is doing a better job recruiting the secondary right now than English is. So, um, I, I think you'd have to, you know, uh, Give him more credit right now for than uh, on the recruiting trail than what Ron English is doing, but um, I would go with C. Rob and you know Ron English, who is a, a very weird, weird dude talking about smoking meat all the time, as probably um, the weakest right now on the trail.
0: Uh, I got the same too, and, and really, if you're looking at these the secondary, there's a bunch of guys that aren't going to be around in two years, so you need to have uh, as good as the linebacker class is. You need to start loading up on cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, To make up for, you know, I don't anticipate C.J. Henderson or Marco Wilson playing their senior year in Gainesville. So you need to start loading up on some secondary um, as well. And and that's on English. And you got guys. I put Florida up there with any state in the country in terms of those skill positions, in terms of receivers, running backs, corners, safeties. You got to be you got to be able to get guys to stay in state and go get those, those top talented guys or else, you know, DBU turns into DB who real quick.
5: Yeah, I'll go with the strongest guy. I'll go a little bit different. I'll go with Sunseri, uh, the best so far. I think, you know, going back to to, to to the last cycle, some of the guys he pulled in there and then your current commits, uh, like he was in on you know, Diabate and Humphreys in the 2020 class with Bingley Jones. You know, Sunseri was the coach that could sell vision, uh, let guys know how they fit into the defensive line. Grantham helps there too, but it's been the recruits mentioning Sunseri by name that's caught my attention. You know, let's. You know, I want to don't want to overlook what, what Mullen and Brian Johnson have done to the quarterback room in just you know half a year on the job. Emory Jones, Jalen Jones, Anthony Richardson, you know, one of those guys is going to get it done. Get it done in Dan Mullen' offense. So Mullen right now has uh, a quarterbacks that fit his vision, and it didn't take long to get there. But you know, as far as besides the head coach, when you when the recruits have been interviewed, Sonseri's been the name that I've heard the most. And Ron English. Worst weakest link. Uh, not much more to add there than what what, uh, what Graham said there. Uh, there's nothing there. Larry Scott could also be kind of put put on notice there, uh, and he start pulling his weight on the trail. And he has the opportunity with with Summerall and Zipperer. I know he's in on those guys just a little bit, but you know, with his background in the state of Florida, he could start pulling in some guys.
4: Yeah, time in real quick. Um, I think English is is, is the worst, <laughs> just because of the tweet- <laughs> Yeah, just because of the tweet to, uh, st- to find out about Steel, man, I think oh. that was. <laughs> he could have just,
6: just hit my DMs, man. He could have <laughs> hit
4: anybody on Twitter DMs and found out, bro. I we all knew what Steel was going at that point. But he get the week is just for that, man. That was terrible.
6: Yeah, uh, for me, your um, your you're, uh, well, anytime you're looking at a Florida staff, um, I think that they put their best recruiter in South Florida, specifically Miami-Dade, and I think that they put their weakest recruiter in Gainesville. You guys know who's in those areas?
5: Tennessee's in Gainesville, right?
6: <laughs> and who's in Miami-Dade? Larry,
4: right? Who do you got in Miami-Dade?
6: Brian Johnson. Johnson. Ah. And I would say that right now, he's the strongest one on the staff, not just because of that. I think that is is a sign that he is. But if we're talking, I mean, who at the end of the day are the most important and impressive recruits that they've landed and needed to go get? The three quarterbacks that they got on board in eight months—he's cleaned up with three elite uh, signal callers—and he's now down in South Florida um, for Hevesy being in Gainesville. I mean, that just—I mean, they had Nord in Gainesville. Um, With Hevesy though, I I don't think that it's—it's. It's that he's a bad recruiter. He's just, he's not trying to be a good recruiter. And I mean that by saying he's just not going to go out there and kiss a kid's ass. He's not going to go and and smooth a kid up. And like, he is the way he is. He's going to be the O line type of coach that he is. And when he goes out and finds his targets, he's going to say, This is my style. This is how I'm going to deal with you. This is how we're going to communicate. You either like me or you don't. (laughs) And I I mean, that's how he sells himself on the trail. Uh, And because of that, they purposely, I think, don't want him to be an ace recruiter, and that's fine. Uh, he's going to go get the lineman that he feels like can come play with him, that fit what he needs, um, and I say all that, but he got to give him credit. I mean, and I, I keep, I, I do it all the time, but people don't understand how close Richard Garage was to being gone, um, and and he really won him over because he did not like John Hevesy when they first met, and, you know, he, he didn't kiss Richard's butt or do anything like that. He just he was who he was, and eventually he kind of just won him over. And Clemson set their entire coaching staff, including Dab- Dabble Sweeney, to Richard's house uh, the last night of that, you know, before signing day. And he still chose to come to Florida. So I give Hevesy a lot of props for winning that recruitment, but he's he's not their their ace guy on staff. Um, and I, I think it's Brian Johnson.
5: Hevesy, it's like he calls it like he sees it, and he's brutally he's brutally honest to a fault.
6: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and and because of that reason. They, like I said, they don't, I don't think they want him on a lot of kids, and he doesn't want to be on a lot of kids. Yeah. He goes, give me the, give me the areas that I need to go hit and let me go recruit my linemen. I'll find the guys that I like um, and go from there.
5: But I, I like that mindset on the, on, on the field, though. You know, when you, when you're under him, you're going to know what he thinks. And yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, you know, I, I like that. I like that part of it. But you're right. On yeah. the trail, on the trail, it's going to rub some, some guys who are used to being pampered the wrong way.
4: Personally, I think with Hevesy, we need to get, uh, go to Bama route and maybe go offensive guard, offensive tackle coach type thing and, and bring in a recruiter to, to help him, man. Uh, well, I like him man. on the I think field. they should
6: have done that with Brad Davis. Absolutely.
4: Yep. Yep. Absolutely.
6: Well, that's what was done before at UF with Steve Adazio
2: kind of helping him out there. So this that would be the second go-around that Hevesy has some help at Florida because he's obviously got some chops as a coach. So right. I'd go for it.
0: So guys, this might be this might be Debbie Downer, but a lot of the Mississippi State writers have told me that that at least the guys that when they were at Mississippi State were lazy when it came to recruiting. And there was like a whole month where I know guys weren't out um, on the trail after signing day. So, I mean, that's just what they've told me. They cover them for, you know, for a good period of time.
4: It's hearsay. It's hearsay, That's why I'm here.
3: I'm here just stirred up.
4: Listen to These the streets. Starts rumors. starts rumors, bro. A rumor monger here, man.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, if they were lazy in Mississippi State, I don't think that they've shown it thus far. I think that there's probably some strategic reasons why it hasn't worked out, but I don't think that they've been lazy by any stretch of the imagination. They've probably put hell more miles on their private planes and frequent flyer miles than just about any coaching staff in the country. Yeah, that's that's, that it's, that's just going to pay it off hard. yet, but I don't think they're lazy. Say what?
1: They probably weren't lazy. The train probably just broke down. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, I'll jump in. I mean, I think that Brian Johnson was the name that I wrote uh, with Sal Sinceri kind of being a guy that nobody really talks about uh, on the recruiting chair. I think that Sal Sinceri has an absolute unbelievable record to fall back on um, in terms of development, and that's going to take a certain type of player that's going to want to play for him, and want to be developed by him. Uh, but I would say that Brian Johnson, Sal Sinceri, and then uh, you guys already called it out, but the uh, the tweet that Ron English had was just uh, <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> he should just hop onto Gator Twitter. He knew. He knew.
4: I, I think that was a DM. I think he thought that was a DM, to be honest with you. I don't think that was – But if you don't know what a, a DM
3: tweet. is like 12 years after Twitter's been created, then it ain't for you, baby. I mean, it looks different. How can you not I, know?
4: Of course Silk
1: is going to defend him. He tweeted Amazon.com one day. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell
4: you, man. Was wasn't it, it <laughs>
5: typed
4: out the the hashtag – hashtag- <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, these guys are old school, man. You think English, you ever heard English speak, bro? You think he's like in tune with Twitter and how it works? I can guarantee he has no idea. Like, even the good tweets, I'm pretty sure that's some intern. Greg
1: couldn't tweet because they haven't made the app for a beeper yet.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's got a jitterbug phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say uh my strong is on the trail is gonna be C-Rob right now. From what he's doing, I like Brian Johnson because like like Zach said, he's landing some studs. But coming into this whole situation when they put the staff together, I thought C-Rob was gonna be the weak link. Uh, fresh face, no experience, uh, young fella. But I mean, he's doing his thing on the trail, man. Nobody complaining about anything that he's doing. Uh, not he's the older old. guys. He's got the juice. He's a bulldog. Got the juice. Hey, he's not a bulldog no more, bro. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Say that. Hey, does
3: Does Larry Scott? Can Can we put him in that mix? I, I think. Like oh, Yeah. Um, I'm just not sure. I think it was day that you mentioned him. I, I think that he came in, at, you know, with with huge recruiting chops and just a huge recruiting name, and I'm just not seeing his name as as often as I thought it
4: would. I think he'll be fine. I just think. I, his, no, no.
6: I mean, I mean, who's he missed on though? I mean, that's what I'm saying. What I mean, yeah. he, I mean, yeah. the, 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 he still got yeah. the Lakeland kids in play. Yeah. He got he got a commitment from Jaleel Billingsley, and then yeah. they messed up his commitment video. He should have done it with me, and he'd have been in the class. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Go ahead, pull up um, that thing, man.
6: So, but listen, I mean, so he, I mean, he went out and got Billingsley, and that fell apart. But I, I've been around. I've watched him interact with kids. I don't think he's a weak yeah. link at all. I just think he What's hasn't up? landed any kids yet.
5: Yeah, it's more about number with him than it really, than it actually is anything else.
3: Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I, I was just more curious than anything. I, I just want Bill to say that that's his favorite recruiter, so we can go at it. <laughs> 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 you
5: know,
2: I actually don't have one guy that I think is separated himself. I, I thought what Zach said about. Um, about brian johnson was really interesting but you're in a position to know that better than i am uh to me the one that stands out though in a negative light is ron english i mean he's the guy like you said he's awkward on social media there's strike one you've got a scandal in your background strike two and your record doesn't look so hot strike three so right now i just think he's an obvious weak link to the staff and I, but i hope he turns it around
4: how I, I like him coaching though i like the way he yeah. coaches. um you know, no, I'm just recru- speaking about recruiting, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Recru- I like him coaching, but he got tight, especially at DB, man. Especially at DB. I mean, this is DBU, so, supposedly. It's, so we just need to hire Ki-Wan Ratliff and get
6: with
5: it. Apparently, yeah. his seven-on-seven stuff hang- uh, is in the way. I don't think he wants to coach.
4: That's all. Yeah, he, doesn't coach. he doesn't want to coach. He doesn't want to coach. doesn't want to do it. Uh, Kiwon wants- lay. He, he relaxing right now, man.
5: There were some rumors he's interviewed or have been asked. Uh, there we go. The rumors again. There was the rumors. That's a mixed
0: part of <laughs> Not my rumors. I, starter, I, I, know I, I, I didn't start those rumors. <laughs> rat, if you see this, I'm still waiting on my shirt, bro. My Rat Pack shirt.
4: Not getting that shirt. All right, <laughs> next topic. <laughs> Is it? No. <laughs> all right, next topic, man. Uh, when it's all said and done. This is gonna be a quick one. When it's all said and done, What we'll we land a five star?
6: I wrote about this this week.
4: Oh, go ahead. Let's, plug, let's, plug your it, stuff. Read yeah, read it for us. real quick.
6: I mean, I went back and looked. I think the guys that they that I that I felt like they had a any that they were even in the mix for. Obviously, you have Sanders. You have um, you have Evan Neal. And you have Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, those are the only five stars that are actually showing interest to Florida. In that, they're saying that they're going to visit. Sanders is the only one that they have a real shot with. I know Neil's um, uncle played at Florida, but that looks like he's um, favoring Miami uh, over, you know, Florida, Florida State, and Alabama. And then Thibodeau, I mean, we we already talked about the California thing. Sanders, we'll see. I know everyone's wrote Florida off, and I think that at this point they might even – want naquan white more or 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 they're focusing on him more but i still would not count the gators out because of that family connection um and just to see how the year plays out um but i mean that those are really the only guys i see uh unless um you know tyreek stevenson something crazy happens there and i think he's a five-star recruit so i think he might eventually get a fifth star and maybe if florida some found a way to pull off an upset there those are the really lonely guys, though. I mean, Dewan Black might get a fifth star, yeah. but I mean, he's not playing. I think this fall. So right, that's what I was about
5: um, to say. He, he, if, there, if, there's it, guy, yeah. if there's a guy, guy currently committed that could be a five star, I would have picked him until he announced that he's not playing now. So
4: yeah, and I would also throw uh, Carry Elam into that mix as well. He could, he yeah. could possibly yep. get a five star.
5: Well, there you go. That's the one then. If he gets his fifth, I mean, if he gets his fifth star, that's the guy.
4: Yeah. So we could all we, we count on the same page there or what? Anybody want to chime in? I,
2: it just looks a little negative right now. I, I will say that, regardless of the result in this, I really liked what they did with Umstead Sanders. Uh, I thought that was a really good move, It's the kind of thing you got to do. And we see a lot of that ha- happening out of Mullen. Um, he's making the the right moves, I think. Uh, except for, except for California, <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> Uh, Other than that, so I applaud their efforts with him, but it doesn't look promising right now. I mean, if you got to bet a dollar on whether or not they land one, I'd say no right now. Since
5: since Zach brought it up with Trey Sanders, and I know this has been a hot topic with this, and uh, I'm in in the belief there are only only a few recruits where the -the on-the-field performance can make a difference, and I think Sanders is one of those guys. If If this running game does what we think it can do, I think it could speak volumes to him. But are you guys of the belief that the the, the on-field result lead, lends itself into recruiting?
4: I, I think it's, it's, it's a combination of both. You got to win games uh, to land. We lost elite running backs by losing games. We had Dalvin Cook won four games, and that cost us him. So you got to win games to get five-star kids. I don't think they're just going to come and try to be the savior for your class. I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. But I feel good with where we're at with Trey Sanders. It don't look like he's in a rush to commit. We got his brother on campus. Uh, his mom and parents. His parents are gonna be on campus every Saturday to watch his brother play. So when we the gotta put in this player. thing. Yeah, we got a lot of time left, man. So let it play I think we land a five-star. got be nostalgic Dalvin, around here.
0: You bring Dalvin up, hurt Zach's feelings. Hurt my feelings. Man, that hurt one.
6: Hurt. feelings. That one did hurt. Uh, I don't know why I mean, Nick thinks
4: that hurt my You people. were
0: all in your feelings.
4: <laughs> Here he goes, man. Just ruin the You can't in Nick, man. You can't. Yeah,
6: Nick's, Nick's going to put you on front street.
4: <laughs> all right, man. Let's, we're going to wrap it up with uh, estimations for the class, man. What it's going to take for this class to be successful ranking-wise. Let's start with Bill. This is regarding numbers. Uh,
2: I'm not necessarily looking for a particular national ranking. Uh, the two marks that I've kind of set aside that I want to see to show tangible progress, actually there's three of them. Uh, number one is to land a five-star. Uh, I, I've talked extensively about just how vacuous this, this is to facing 2019 without a five-star. I think 23 schools <clears throat> have signed one since Florida has. Four additional schools have one committed for this year. So you're talking about 27 programs with a five-star since Florida's last. You don't win titles without them, not in the SEC, not nationally. Um, they're your Tim Tebow's of the world, your Percy Harvins of the world. Uh, I'll argue that till I'm blue in the face, but I don't, Dan, I'm sure you don't <laughs> argue that either. Uh, but number two, um, I'd like to see number three in the SEC, and I'm not sure they get that done. Uh, Florida hasn't had a number three class in the SEC since I think 2013. No school has reached the playoffs without at least one class on the roster. In that four-year cycle that preceded the championship run, that was number three or better in the class. Uh, even Clemson, that everybody likes to talk about when they won their first SC or ACC title, they had two classes on the roster that were uh, ranked number two, uh, the first and last of the of the roster building cycle. Um, so I want to see some progress there. Four, five, six in SEC every year. It is just not unless you find that Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow guy, you're not going to win a title without. Him. Uh, And then the third thing, I'd really like to see Mullen have the best bump class out there this year in the SEC uh, and over Willie Taggart. Uh, And just if I may divert to Willie Taggart a little bit, I don't see them lighting the world on fire. Recruiting is supposed to be his forte right now. It's good. Yes, they're ahead of uh, Florida right now. I think they can be had on the field and off the field, and there is no better singular point. Uh, from which to, to grab momentum, than to take care of business versus the
4: Knowles on and off the field. If you look at their commitment list in the grand, it's a lot of fluff takes in that thing, man. They took some guys to to fluff that class up that wouldn't necessarily take for us. Um, so I'm not I'm not really nervous about anything they're doing. I would say um, my man Lucas on that list is probably the coveted guy for us. Gant and on another the guy they got uh, Dent with. That was that was Jimbo. Jimbo's getting. I, I, I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Don't stick, man. Rest of that list, it's iffy, man. I don't. I don't like anything on it, man. I, I like the linebackers that we landed, and we're going out the guys that really fit our scheme. We're not just getting guys because they have four stars. So, big picture wise, I like what Dan's doing. Um, Zach.
6: Yeah, I mean. It's tough because, like, like Bill said, I mean, if they don't have the five star or enough elite guys in there, it's just they're, it's hard for them to get up to where they need to be rankings wise. Um, and I, I, mean, I think it's going to bother Dan Mullen. He, he is like Urban Meyer in that he pays attention to recruiting rankings and he wants to be better than everybody else. And um, I don't, I don't think that the results last year, even though they had some things that he did that was better than any other. Uh, first year Florida coach for a transition year it still wasn't the level that he expects them to be at and I don't know if they can get there this year um, just because of the targets that are out there Um, but I mean if they can find a way to get Trey Sanders in the fold if they can get the two guys out of Lakeland uh, if they can get what they need in the secondary I think that's going to be a good class but they have to take care of the in-state targets now um, and, and just continue to improve I mean if they don't get into the top ten this year, um, it's, I know it's going to upset a lot of fans, and I think it's a possibility. So then that twenty twenty cycle, you got to really make a jump. Um, I think having Richardson on board uh, will help, but that's that's really the year where I think all the stuff that they've been doing, and they have a year on the field, is is where they're going to have to make a big jump in recruiting. Because I don't know if it can happen this year.
4: Well, you think it had successful? What for this to be a successful season? What ranking or what what has to happen in your opinion?
6: As far as what ranking they need to finish with?
4: But what needs to happen in this class as far as, like, guys they need to get, what they need to finish, when it's all said and done for this to be a I mean, you, you,
6: you got to get one of the running backs. You got to get Ryder Sanders. You got to get one more receiver, whether it's Knox or Higgins or someone. Um, you got to get the two kids out of Lakeland, which I don't know if they can do. I mean, I think they can get Summerall, but Zipper is not going to be easy, um, especially if Florida's tight ends ball out this year. Um, they're crowded at that spot, so I uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens with him. And then you got to get the two corners that they're out they're after um, Elam and Hill. They're done at uh, linebacker, and then go out and get an elite safety. If you can't get Tyreek Stevenson, who they want at safety, go get Jordan Battle. Uh, to me, if they do those things I just said, and then get um, you know the best lineman that they can get out there, I don't think it's going to be Evan Neal. Um, just get the best available. I, th- I think that's a good class. Successful,
4: I agree. Um, I said I do want to see an elite lineman. I think it's gonna be a little tough with Hevesy. Um, like he's we already discussed that he's not really the recruiting type, but uh, I want to and get. Line. Thing. I
6: mean, look, I mean, Evan Neal, I don't think they're gonna get him this year. But that's a kid – Like you just can't miss on kids like that. You can't mm-hmm. miss on Alex Leatherwood. You can't miss on Nicholas Petit Ferrer. And you can't that's miss on Daniel, especially when he's got – his. you know, he grew up a Gator fan because of his uh, uncle. So um, – but for whatever reason, he's all about Miami right now. Florida hasn't been able to seemingly gain any ground. So it just is what it is. You know, the, the kids from IMG Academy, him and Sanders, um, are, are what's – Going to determine whether it's an elite class or not. If they get all the other targets, especially the Lakeland guys, I think Florida fans should feel good about it. If they get the you know kids out of IMG, then the class gets taken to another level.
4: I'm gonna get a little, I'm gonna get a little uh sketchy with it. Um, do you think our efforts as far as I mean, a lot of behind the scenes things go on. Do you think that like, the way George is moving, the way I think Alabama's starting to trend for my man Neil Evan Neil now? I think those guys are moving a little different than we are as far as, like, things behind the scenes and getting getting things done to get those kids. Do you think we're missing something or there's something we're not doing?
1: I mean, I think the biggest thing really is that at the end of the day, you look at recruiting rankings, you look at the top 25, how many of those teams ahead of Florida had a, you know, a losing record last season? You know, so many offensive players have come to Florida, so many wide receivers being told, hey, this is the year they revived the offense and we're going on a decade now of empty promises. Um, I think that's the biggest factor at the end of the day. People want to see a product on the field that uh, they could, that is committable to. Um, There have been many quarterbacks who have come through being told, you know, Jeff Driscoll, multiple quarterbacks being told, hey, you know, we're going to revive the offense. Uh, You're going to have talent around you. We're going to, you know, tool the offense around you. It's been a lot of people who have said that, who that's been said to and who have heard that. So I think that Florida, until they prove that, They're not really going to get back in with um, some of these top guys, but I'm going to piggyback off what Zach said. And the biggest things that make um, this class a success have to be recruiting defensive backs, safeties, and two cornerbacks, um, which seem to be, you know, they seem to be a better spot for the corners than the safeties right now. And then I think that Florida does need to go out, you know, like you said, and, you know, land a a running back, but we're going on a pretty, you know, Rough stretch of seeing Florida miss on in state, you know, offensive linemen, like you said. And and that needs to change. John Hevesy, you know, comes with the regard that he is a good developer and that should bring recruits, but that we haven't seen that really pay off yet um, at Florida no, in they the got, nine months. They, that he's they been got here
6: garage. Now. They got, you, you, sure, you that's them credit fair.
1: Credit got to give credit That's fair. Um, but like you said, that was one that was, it almost did slip through their hands. We haven't seen anyone be totally, I, I guess, recruited and sealed by Hevesy yet.
6: But, but, but to be fair, though, Garage isn't um, the level of Neil or Nicholas Petit-Ferrer or Alex Leatherwood. I mean, those are like they step in and they're ready to play. You know, Garage might have to retro this year. So when you have someone that's that good in the state of Florida as an offensive lineman, it's a premium position, especially a tackle. Um, the Gators got to get those guys, And even if it's not everyone. You got to get some of them when they come through, and Florida hasn't been able to do that. And it's with then with different offensive line coaches, not just one.
4: Bill,
6: <laughs>
2: listen, I, <laughs> I, I I sympathize with the idea that we have to 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 look at context and have reasonable expectations. Um, but if we're if we're being brutally honest with the fans about what is a successful class in context of what puts position Florida in position to win a championship, there's been six coaches hired since 2005 in the SEC that have gone on to win it. Every one of them has had at least a top eight class, their classes of average, 4.7. It's talking about the second class, the bump class. Every one of them assigned multiple five stars in the first two years. Every one of them has won it from the first three years. Uh, So if if we're saying that Mullen is going to get by with top 15 recruiting and it will probably get better next year, there is exactly one team that has followed that path, and that was not in the SEC. That was Davos Winnick, Davos Winnick, Clemson, and the team he took over had more talent, and they won with five stars. Uh, they had a five-star quarterback in Todd Boyd when they won the ACC, throwing to five-star Sammy Watkins, who was an All-American. They had the number one all-purpose back. Uh, that was their primary running back. There, there is no template in the historical record to suggest that's going to get done. And so unless this gets better fast, it's really, objectively speaking, not a success.
3: Um, I'll chime in um, because I know one of Bill's points was that he wanted to beat um, Florida State um, in recruiting, and um, you know it brought me to a point. I'm not going to disagree with him um, just yet. We'll see where this uh, monologue takes me. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think you know, looking back, at, you know, Florida had the highest class on average by star average last year. Well, this past season, um, you know, 2018 class. Uh, so I think that that's something worth noting. I mean, Dan Mullen came in you know, for a program and beat Miami who had a pretty good year with a coach that had been there for uh, over a year building that class. And he came in and, you know, got some great names. He got garage, he got Langham, he got Copeland, he got uh, Emory Jones. Jones. So he got a lot of those talents. So, um, you know, he's shown the ability to be able to build this, uh, to, to build not only a good ranked class, you know, and last year, I know I'm sure everybody would want a little bit higher ranked and, you know, certainly right now they want a little bit higher rank, but I don't want us to just look at the rankings, like ranking us, you know, number three in the sec or number four in the sec or whatever that number might be. I want that, I want to make sure that that class is the most balanced class possible because urban Meyer had some really highly ranked classes that were so terribly unbalanced that the team could barely field an offensive line for the next three seasons. And so when we're looking at how are we going to rank this class, how are we filling those needs more so than are we just grabbing, you know, a five-star or are we grabbing, you know, seven, four-stars? Like it's great to have that talent, but if they're all going to be running backs and wide receivers, and you're not doing that on the offensive line or defensive line or linebacker or safety positions, quarterback positions, whatever it might be, that's where I'm the ultimate judge of what this class looks like. Um, You know, I wrote, gosh, maybe a few months ago, uh, that Dan Mullen signed, I think, seven players that ranked in the top seven of their position groups his past uh, recruiting class, including two that were ranked number one in their position, uh, which is Lucas Krols, the JUCO tight end, Evan McPherson, his kicker. Obviously, those aren't just the only positions that you want to sign those types of players at. But Jim McElwain signed three top seven players in his first class. So Dan Mullen did that double what, uh, or you know, more than double what Jim McElwain was able to do, and um, you know, so the way that I'm going to look at this class as being successful um, is how well did they fill those holes? You know, are we an, are we a class of two offensive linemen and three offensive linemen where we've been able to, you know, add a bunch of running backs and wide receivers and skill positions that maybe aren't necessary to look at that class as a success, or is that a really solid well-built class that, you know, they might be the fifth ranked team in the sec, but that's a talented group that, you know, in two, three, four years um, is going to be successful.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with um with Dan to the point because I mean Must Jump had some highly ranked class too, but it was like 30 DBs in it. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like he had some highly ranked classes and, and had some guys, but when he left, we had six linemen on campus. So I think like like my man Dan said, I think it needs to be balanced. Um you just hit the needs, man. Um for me, I need him to hit the needs. I need us to get, I mean, we got our quarterback in the fold, which is which is a need. We need some a couple. Highly ranked offensive lineman, um, four-stars, not three-star project, projects. But I want to see us get a couple offensive tackles, uh, elite safety on the back end, and, and finish up with cornerbacks, man. Wouldn't mind another pass rush as well, but I just think we need to hit knees.
2: A couple of things. Uh, First of all, Miami did finish ahead of Florida in 2018. Florida did not have the highest per player average. There was at least nine or 10 teams above them. And when you talk about class balance, Florida currently has 13 commitments. Six of those are blue chips, but only two were on offense. Those two on offense also happen to be the lowest rated blue chip commits they've got. They have a balance problem. So we not only have a rankings problem, but we have a balance problem as well. And when you look at the board right now,
4: that may continue. I don't think we have a ranking problem right now. I think we're ranked 23rd with 13 commits, and our average star ranking is the top 10 average star. So I don't think so we I look at that. Yeah,
5: I looked at that yesterday. It was It's 15th. Florida's 15th in average star ranking.
4: Are we?
2: Yeah. The worst bump class Florida's ever had was 12th, and that was McIlwain. Is yeah. that okay to finish what McElwain did in recruiting?
4: I don't is think that, it would Is help. that
2: progress? And I don't either. I think
4: they're probably going to say I think it would be fun.
0: Man, don't let them hold you down, Silk. Spin it
4: yeah <laughs> no i don't think there's nothing to spend i think it's a long way to go i mean we can't judge sure r- right it's now today a, the next two not. commits the next two commits that we're lined up to get, we'll jump miami with that and that's we're having a terrible summer supposedly you know what i'm saying like i i don't think and those guys that's a that's a well-built staff and they've been they got relationships built and then we'll have less commits than them and we'll have a higher rank class than the next two three weeks but I think we're fine. I don't think there's anything to panic about, and I don't think there's no balance issues. I think we're gonna land some guys here, and we'll be fine. Our only issue is we gotta land some elite guys in the trenches on offense. We'll get a th- running back. We'll get some offensive guys at a highly ranked rankers real soon. So
2: can I throw one more fact out there? Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. All right. That's something that people really need to watch as well is how the, the uh, top 100s and top 250s change on the roster this year uh, because one area of progress that you're going to see is they're going to have a lot more top 250 talent on the roster. Of the tune of They may increase it by six to eight players because that 2015 class was so bad. You had two top 100s and, and three top 250s total, I think, in the class. Uh, kind of going from memory there. But uh, they may sign seven to ten top 250 guys this year. The problem is they're going to replace those two departing top 100s in C.C. Jefferson and Martez-Ivy with only two to three of the top 100s, maybe four if it gets crazy. Um, but let me find my document. SEC champions. <laughs> while you're you know, finding that document,
3: I'll let – you Go for it. Go for it. Uh, Bill, Bill, while you're finding that document, I'm going to let uh, rivals know that uh, that their numbers are wrong when they say that Florida had the highest uh, average of the three programs. Uh, oh, I'll use the like chef, boss, chef, yeah, That's all right. All. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. I just want you to let them know they're wrong. Hey, man. I go by the
1: populations, Mm, actually.
2: Mm.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You guys are crazy, man. (laughs) Just messing with me, Bill. Uh, I
2: don't care. (laughs) Um, Gosh, man. I can't find it. Uh, SEC champions have had something to the two. lost uh,
4: documents?
2: (laughs) They've had about 28, I think, uh, top 100s, but I don't want to really speak on that without having facts.
5: Let's see. I (laughs) can't find it. This is the wrong show. Don't let facts, yeah. facts get in the way of a good narrative. I had here's to stop. Here's another one. Silk. Here, here Sil, it is. Silk, and I know it. Hey, I want to throw, throw a team right out there. Trust You're kind of going out there too. I, I
2: found
5: it. By the way, go, go ahead. Because um, Silk, I've seen you talk about it in, in the talent too. But what Tennessee's doing right now, and comparing, you know, two first-year coaches, you got Florida with Mullen and, and Pruitt. And I think a lot of people out there were kind of impressed with what Tennessee's doing. And how Pruitt's kind of getting off to a fast start. Who hasn't even He's, coached the game I don't yet? know if it's fast,
4: though. I mean, Tennessee's class is pretty much held up by a lot of three stars. And you got Wayno in the offensive line. That five star is pretty much pumping their class up. They're at 20 commits right now and ranked 10.
5: Well, no, no, no. Man, but 10. hold on, hold on. The, the part of that was, I was it done? You know, we, we talk about a lot of people saying, oh, we got to see the product on the field. Okay. Well, what the heck's Tennessee done? They went winless in the SEC last year. Jeremy Pruitt's the first-year head coach. hasn't even coached the game yet. And he's reeling in. He no, was saying maybe not quality, but they're not having they're not having a problem bringing the numbers in.
4: Now, yeah, I, th- I don't want numbers, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, we seen back Derek back, right? Dooley do it at Tennessee. Derek Dooley had some classes with 33 guys, and it was a bunch of three stars. Like I said, it was just a numbers thing, man. I want guys that's gonna be able to play, work in the system, not just take guys. Well, I just mean, take. Them. I think we could get guys if we want three stars. I'm pretty sure they can land some three stars that'll be glad to be Gators. I mean, we got some
5: commitment. I'm not going we haven't to make gone sure. into it, but yeah.
2: history just doesn't support this narrative that you have to win first. Mullen might have to win first, but other coaches haven't. You no, know I'm right? not saying that at all. But hey, I found this stat. SEC champions since 2005 have averaged 28 top 100s and 51 top 250s on the run, in the four-year cycle uh, before the championship. UF's going to roll in with 11 top 100s and 26 top 250s. The talent – separating them from past sec champions is staggering right now and we really need to see that change
4: all right man graham dumb man <laughs> yeah I, th- I like what Ten- i like what pru is doing uh for tennessee what i like is like i said i look at his commitment list There's not a lot a whole lot i want off that list man i, I think we the uh offensive line is pumping that up a little bit but
3: I mean, I think Florida could have taken a couple three-star guys and ranked a little bit higher, uh, you know, in 2018 oh, sure. and, and would have appeased, you know, at least one person on this panel. What? <laughs> who? I'm not pointing <laughs> fair. I so didn't say it was you, Bill. You have a guilty conscience?
2: <laughs> wild, no, I just don't think that fits <laughs> with anything we <we've> said.
3: <laughs> I, I wasn't talking about you then. all right. Okay, well, who was it? All right.
4: Who was it, Dan? Who was it? Adam, bro.
3: It's all right. We'll, we'll add him. We'll add him on the podcast. <laughs> all
4: right, man, we done? Y'all gonna screw up. <laughs> I'll
3: be at the Kentucky. Bill and I are arguing, and, and I don't think it comes from a bad place. You know, I think him and I kind of interpret some things differently, uh, you know, the way that we look at numbers, and that's, and that's fine. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I go back to my main point about what makes this class successful. And I think right now, It is based solely on the ability for them to create a balanced class and not just a highly ranked class right now. Um, Obviously, we want to fill that balanced class with talent, right? But I want to make sure that if that talent, if that group is going to rank number three in the SEC, that they're ranked number three in the SEC because they have a good, talented recruiting class, not just because they have the mixture of the highest ranked, you know, four running backs. Right. Me, and though. that's what
5: happened it, 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 under it, it, Urban Meyer. Yeah. I think And not right now, not for 2019, but at some point, you got to hit both at the same time.
4: Yep. You got to win championships knees, without
5: it. And you got to, and you got to fill a yep. high, high.
4: Absolutely. Down. There's no, I mean, there, we see like it's plain sight, man. You got to get the studs and, and, and you got to hit knees. You got to get some wants. I mean, some guys you just don't really need, but let's just stack the cover. Uh, Zach quick, Zach and Graham guys that are around and, and kind of know what the board how many, how many we could take this cycle. What are they looking to take? I think they're taking Graham. 23, between 23 and 25.
1: Yeah, I think
6: 29 is like the max that they could take, I believe. Um, but they're not going to be able to get close to there. So, um, I mean, the way that it looks just on their roster needs, obviously, they need a quarterback for this year, they got it. They needed at least one running back. They got to go get that. They need three receivers because they got seven coming back, and they got two on board. So they need to get at least one more. Um, And it would be nice if it wasn't, you know, a three star. Um, Then at tight end, I mean, because you know they need one at least one guy, um, and everyone knows that they're going after zip. Offensive line, they're bringing back twelve guys in 2019, so they need to get four, um, and they got three commits. So that last one. Needs to be an Evan Neal or a William Putnam or somebody of that caliber. Um, their buck defensive end position, they got six guys coming back for 2019. They need to get two. They got di- uh, diabetes or diabetes. The other night, diabetes, they need to go bro. get one more. Uh, whether that's Summerall, whether that's Stibido it's got to be one of those guys. Defensive tackle um, with Clark leaving, they really only need one uh, in this class, and they got Humphrey. So, I mean, they're done there. They're done at linebacker. They got eight coming back for 2019, um, and then they're bringing in the the four that they have. So they're set there. They, everyone knows they need to sign three cornerbacks, um, Kimbrough, and they need to get two more. And then safety. They'll be bringing back six safeties. We need to at least go get two more. They got Trent Whittemore as one of the safeties. I think it'd be great if they could sign. That's why that second guy needs to be somebody along the lines of you know, Tyreek Stevenson or someone of that caliber. A Nick Cross, but I think
4: he's he's going to FSU. Is he? <laughs> like or, or,
6: or, or or is or he not coming to
4: Florida? Yeah, <laughs> it's getting weird. Um, anything else you guys want to uh um talk on before we wrap it up? All right, I had to go, man. Right, I'm gonna get divorced. Just to say,
1: sorry we couldn't get to Lance and Jasper's phone call tonight. Just ran out of time.
4: <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, Instagram's Lance Instagrams mentions with that bro.
1: <laughs> man, he wants to
4: kill you. He's burning every talking.
1: bridge around. He disappointed
4: himself.
6: I need to prepare better.
4: <laughs> Send him some tinfoil. <laughs> no comment, bro. And I'm usually—I usually have something to say. This is like probably the first time, man. No comment, bro.
5: Debate. Debate me.
4: Yeah, <laughs> debate me. <laughs> <laughs> Parking lot, commuter lot,
1: <laughs> for the first game. Man, shout
6: out, to, <laughs> shout out to my man,
5: Lance. Shout out to
4: Lance, man. <laughs> hey, shout guys, this was, this, this
5: was fun. Last two nights have been fun. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think we'll, if people listen out there, I think we're going to try and get this again, uh, what, bye week. You know, I don't know if everybody can do it, but uh, I know most of us, we've discussed it behind the scenes. We'll try and do this the bye week. Uh, during the bye week, a lot of people uh, in the last day or so from the part one have – you know, Ray reviews sent reviews there to each and every one of us, and talking about how how much they enjoyed this. So this definitely can't be the last time we all get together.
4: Absolutely, man.
6: Definitely, man. Thanks for putting this together, guys. And I'm, I'm glad the fans enjoyed it, man. I hope we got everybody ready for the season.
5: Anybody I'm else? Excited. All right, you guys, good.
6: I'm yeah. good, Gators. Good.
5: All right. So for for the preseason Gator panel, this will do it. See you guys later.